three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglua. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, the Bears are going to play this weekend. We're going to preview the game between the Bears and 49ers Coming up in just a second. We also have an interview today with Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times. We talked with him extensively about the Bears' season, Justin Fields, the Baseball Hall of Fame, and so much more. It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. And to watch more of this show, head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. want to start today with this. Finally, football is back. On offseason, we speculated, we predicted, we made power rankings. We evaluated the Bears and their development of Justin Fields and the new regime. Now the day's finally here. This is the true test for the Bears, for Brian Poles, for Matt Eberflus, for Justin Fields, Luke Gensey, every name that you can imagine, they're going to be tested starting this Sunday. Very exciting to me. I don't know how well the Bears are going to do. I think they're going to do better than people think, but don't expect a playoff appearance or any extravagant season. There will be pains. There will be failure, frustration. We may have a rant or two from me during the season, but at least football is back. I couldn't be happier. That said, I have a problem with what's to come this Sunday. A lot of experts and sports books are predicting the Bears are going to lose, and not just lose, but lose magnificently. Six-and-a-half-point underdogs as we speak today, the Bears. My question is why? Pretty simple question. One word question. Why are the Bears projected to be six-and-a-half-point underdogs? What makes San Francisco so much better, leaps and bounds better than Chicago? Last time I checked, they're under a quarterback controversy. They could be committed to Trey Lance, but the fact is Trey Lance has barely thrown a pass in the NFL. He's thrown no meaningful passes in football. None. And I say football because I include college. Barely threw, barely played at North Dakota State. FCS, not FBS. And yet for some reason, the national media thinks and sports books think that they're just going to come in and rout the Bears at home on a rainy day, keyboard, at Soldier Field. I don't know where people come up with this. I think it's really a tactic to scare everybody into not betting the Bears, but the fact is the Bears are going to win this game. 
telling you right now they're going to come in and win this. Here's why. San Francisco, first of all, is used to beautiful weather. They don't play in bad weather in December and January. The Bears are used to it. They always do. This is going to be a Bears football game. This is going to be a game that prioritizes running the football. And that prioritizes more experience at the quarterback position. I'm not saying Justin Fields is perfect or that we know he's gotten better. We don't know. We haven't seen him play a game yet this year. But I'll tell you what, I think he's going to do a much better job than people think at holding on to the football. And really, that's going to be the big key on Sunday. Who has less turnovers? It's going to be raining. Conditions are going to be horrible. Field's going to be messed up at Soldier Field in September. Pouring rain. Who's going to hold on to the football? I firmly believe Justin Fields, at the end of the day, is going to have less interceptions and less fumbles than Trey Lance will. And that's going to be the biggest factor in deciding who's going to win the game. I think the Bears are going to pull this one out. David Montgomery is a great running back. Got Khalil Herbert behind him, too. Run game's going to be great for the Bears. George Kittle, for the 49ers, may not even play, which is also going to be a big factor. So you take out your top weapon for Trey Lance, too. Essentially a rookie quarterback, away from home, in bad conditions, now without your top weapon, potentially. And even if he does play as a groin injury, who knows if he's going to be as effective as usual. This is not going to be a game in which the 49ers just take over, like everybody's saying. Remember, Trey Lance didn't get a chance to develop last year. He didn't have his Justin Fields year, his Zach Wilson year, his Trevor Lawrence year. That's going to come now. I'll tell you what, all those quarterbacks I just mentioned had more reps in college. They were all college stars. They came to the NFL. They struggled mightily. But you're going to tell me Trey Lance went to a smaller school, threw less passes in college, and, and the pros is going to light it up on Sunday torch the Bears' defense, and have San Francisco win by a whole touchdown? I don't think so. I firmly believe this is going to be the Bears' game. It's going to be a close game, not going to be a high-scoring game, but it's going to be the Bears' game. No matter what, you can always count on the Bears if it's going to be a defensive battle to win the battle. I don't care what year it is. I don't care if this is 2022 and not 1985 or 2006 or 2018. If it's a defensive battle, bent on the Bears to win. Still got Robert Quinn, got a bunch of young guys ready to prove themselves. Brisker, Gordon, Roquan Smith, who's back. And you're facing off against a rookie quarterback who's going to be frazzled and on top of it may not have his top weapon. This is not going to be as easy as people think. And that's the whole thing here. And you know what? Maybe the Bears do lose, and that's fine. Nobody's expecting them to win. Nobody's expecting anything out of them this entire season. You saw my video from Thursday. They are the NFL's underdogs. Season-wide, they're an underdog. Not just now. Everybody's discounting them. Everybody's tearing them down. Not saying this won't be a good team. Keep talking. <laughs> fine by me, fine by them. Don't know Mooney said it. They're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. And that the national media knows nothing because they rank players based off Madden rankings. And you know what? It's true. Some of the opinions I hear from the national landscape 
It's just stupid. It's as if they have no idea who the Bears have. They have no idea how to evaluate what they have. They look at Madden and say, yep, bad team, and then move on. You could make the same argument about San Francisco. You really could. I know they got Debo Samuel and they have a nice run game by committee. That's great. Kyle Shanahan, offensive genius. Well, if he's such an offensive genius, why is Trey Lance not developing? Good question. Why is San Francisco not being rated as some top team? They have a rookie quarterback, essentially. They have a guy with no experience who's barely thrown the football. He attempted less passes than Mitch Trubisky did in college at North Carolina. That's D1, real football, too. I don't buy it. I don't buy this. I don't buy the narrative that San Francisco is going to come in and mess up the Bears. It's Bears weather. It's opening day at home for the Bears. Justin Fields has more experience than Trey Lance. And the Bears' defense will make plays. Oh, and by the way, maybe or maybe not, George Kittle will even play. Put all of that together. Does that sound like San Francisco is going to clobber the Bears and win by a touchdown, according to betters? No, it doesn't. That sounds like a perfect storm, literally, for San Francisco. And for the Bears, I think they're going to take advantage and win. It's all going to come down to turnovers. It's all going to come down to whose defense will do better taking the ball away and then which quarterback can hold on to the ball better. Two, I give the advantage in everything right now to Justin Fields. And that's not me giving him too much praise for no reason. That's not me being a fanboy for Fields. It's just simple logic. I'd rather have right now Justin Fields over Trey Lance. Trey Lance has learning to do. Trey Lance needs to make mistakes to learn. Barely thrown the football. Now San Francisco saying, we're going to commit to you and not a great backup quarterback. Jimmy G got them to the NFC Championship game, and they forced him out. We bet Randy Mueller, former NFL GM on this program, he even said, I don't know what they're doing over there. And that's true. They're forcing out somebody who got them to the NFC Championship, who is an efficient quarterback. He may not be great. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's also not. Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. He's 10 times better than Trey Lance by far. They forced him out. You're going to reap what you sow here. So if you want to force out a proven winner, fine, but don't expect the same results with the worst quarterback. They got Trey Lance rookie week one on the road in bad conditions, potentially without his biggest target, biggest weapon, against a good defense who's used to playing in that sort of weather, against a new offense, against a revitalized and hungry Justin Fields. Right, San Francisco is going to win. Good one. My projection at this point is a Bears 24-21 to victory. If you're going to bet, I would bet everything on the Bears. Bears are at plus six and a half, so anyway, I'd bet on them. The Bears are not going to lose this game by a touchdown. They're just not. Everybody could say they are. Not going to happen. I'm telling you right now. This is the Bears game. I firmly believe they're going to come out on top here. And it's really going to send a message to the entire NFL. 
may not mean, hey, the Bears are going to be great, but it will put some respect on their season, on their name, and on what they're trying to do this year. May not be, hey, the Bears are going to win this Super Bowl. I wouldn't even say that, but it will be, hey, are not a team you can mess around with, or are not a team that's going to be an easy win. I think they're really going to prove something on Sunday. They seem hungry, and remember, Justin Fields has a little bit of beef with them. San Francisco said, you know what? We don't like you, Justin. We prefer Trey Lance. Now it's Fields and Lance facing off. I'll tell you what, Fields is going to carve him up easily. Trey Lance needs so much work. I know he's talented. I know he could throw the ball 60, 70 yards without a blemish, but I'll tell you what, he has no in-game experience. San Francisco has the roster, and they're wasting their opportunity developing a quarterback when they have somebody right there who could win. They're making a stupid move across all levels here, and they're going to have to deal with it. They're going to have to deal with watching Trey Lance go through growing pains. Watch him throw four interceptions one game or finish the year with more picks than touchdowns. It's going to happen. They've chosen to waste a really good team for a young quarterback. They don't need that right now. They don't need a rebuild at the quarterback position, but they're choosing to. Fine by me. That means a win for the Bears. If Jimmy G was playing, we saw this last year. Jimmy G played, he started, and... 49ers handily won. Close game at one point, but they broke away. So be it. I would understand if Garoppolo played, I'd take the Niners all the way. Really, I would. But you got a rookie quarterback in who's barely any experience, who's playing for the first time on a season opener, who's starting in bad conditions on the road, potentially without his biggest weapon. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I just don't see it. Don't be surprised when the Bears win this game on Sunday. And I can't wait for Monday to recap the whole thing. This is not going to be an easy Niners win. Even if you're not a better and you're just thinking about who's going to win this game, I'll tell you right now, do not pick the Niners. Trust me, you're going to be pleasantly surprised how this game plays out. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Mark Potash comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for Glue, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he's covered Chicago sports for 30-plus years. Please welcome Mark Potash to the program, Mark. Great to have you on. How are you? Thanks, John. I'm doing great. You know, week one, it's always everything sounds great. So this is all, this is sometimes for the when you cover the Bears is the best time of year. What do you make of the Bears preseason to start? I mean, it's you know, I'm it, it's it, it was okay. I mean, it didn't t- <laughs> doesn't tell you anything. I'm I'm not big on preseason, and the NFL isn't big on preseason. So they may they they've set it up where it's not nearly the indicator it used to be not that it ever was a great indicator so i, I it doesn't it didn't make me think that they would be any better or worse um than than i thought they would be you know when they hired a new gm and coach and, and went through the draft and free agency and all that so uh not that there were uh, let's put it this way all the little things the very subtle things go right down to justin fields footwork that's something you really can't see the benefit of in preseason 
but that actually might be a, a an improvement of his that makes him a better quarterback. Um, you know, there are a couple of plays where they actually got receivers open, uh, which I think is the biggest key to an offense. That was, that's my biggest complaint about the Nagy era is that he he did not create what you what was called the conflict of assignment on defenses that got players open. They're only against the Lions. Let's put it that way. You know, then, then, then there were guys. You literally saw the confusion on the defense. But that was the Lions and Matt Patricia. So anyway, uh, go, going back to the original uh, point, I think uh, was there wasn't anything. There were some certain things I saw in the preseason that were good, but 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 not there. It's it, it was not telltale. So so I guess what I'm saying is anything can happen once the season starts. They could be a surprise team Sunday and really look like the you know a much better team than we thought. Or the 49ers, a team that, you know, a Super Bowl quality team uh, with the new quarterback could just stop them and, and put everybody kind of back in their place as far as the optimism about the Bears. It could go, it really could go either way. Well, you mentioned Justin Fields, at least. You've seen some sort of improvement with his footwork. I know he's been working on his arm motion as well. Do you think that translates to some more success for him this year? Well, I'll be honest. I am not a film watcher, so I, I read these things and I, I look for them and stuff like that. I just don't know how much of it. I think it's more... I think that's more about maybe that facilitating an improvement more in the scheme. I, I'm bigger on that. I, I if there's anything, if there's a narrative I'll, I will buy at least for now, it's that Getz's scheme will create better offense. Will make a better offense with lesser talent. There's no Allen Robinson. There's no Jimmy Graham here. Um, there's no Jason Peters at left tackle. There's a fifth round rookie. I mean. I kind of made the point today in my story in the paper that this is actually a lesser offense, man for man, pound for pound, than the one that faced the 49ers last year. And so um, it's all on, they're betting on the scheme. They're betting on just being a better coach team, you know, running. The Bears weren't a bad running team, but they were, they were, they were never in rhythm. They were never, they, they never did it correctly. You know, they're always out of sync, it seemed like. And so just little things like that. And coming from Green Bay, you kind of expect that. The Packers, you don't really know them as a running team. But if you look at the numbers, they're a very good running team. They have two running backs always. They're very productive. They run well on first down. They're always either in second and two or third and three or something. And 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 uh, and the running game is a big part of Aaron Rodgers' success. So I think they're hoping that those non-Rodgers factors, protection, running game, receivers being open, will make the Bears' offense and make Justin Fields a better quarterback than he was under Matt Nagy. I think that's what this season is all about because they certainly didn't fortify their offense with all these great receivers who are going to automatically – and weapons who are automatically going to make even a mediocre quarterback better. So in a way, it's a good test for Fields. It'll force them to be good. Do you think that's a good idea, though? I mean, you know, other teams would say, hey, you know, we need to develop a quarterback and have some good weapons uh, around them. Instead, they're betting on the scheme. Do you think that's a smart bet? Well, if, if Justin Fields is still standing in week 17, I would say yes. If he gets crushed <laughs> and he doesn't develop, no. But I, I kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, I really don't know how to answer that question because I, 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 I kind of like the fact that they needed an offense and they went defense in the draft only because the two guys they took that you, where you would have wanted a receiver both looked the re like the real deal. Now we don't know if Brisker and Gordon will be as good as they look, but relative to guys, and I'm talking about even guys like Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos, guys who started in the secondary as as rookies, um, they look as good or better than those guys at this point. So my point is, it's not like they're going to be guys who are uh, uh, um, leaning on having Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks on their defense. They look like they're actual difference makers and playmakers. So based on that, I I, I like it, um, but only if 
it works only if the getsy thing works. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if this guy gets crushed, I'm not going to argue that that's not that I'm not going to argue that that um, that Ryan pulls, uh, you know, uh, um, set him up to fail. So I, I'm on the fence on that. I don't have I just don't know enough about it to really give you a definitive answer. I would lean. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is um, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt as a new regime, which I think is fair. You know, we crushed them when they were bad and what, and they made the changes we all wanted. Now, let's see if they're right. Who's going to be Justin Fields' most valuable asset on offense? Well, I think statistically it'll probably be David Montgomery because I just think they need to have a running game, and I think they know they need to have a running game. I think the Herbert-Montgomery tandem, probably more exactly. Um, as far as the offense, I mean, he could lean on I, – I, I like, you know – I'm assuming Mooney will be double covered all the time. Right. So I'm thinking uh, Cole Komet and Equinemia St. Brown. St. Brown seems like a guy that he already has kind of leaned on and kind of gotten chemistry with. And there's an interesting guy coming from Green Bay where he didn't do as well. And you figure, well, if a guy doesn't do as well, if you don't succeed in Green Bay with that quarterback in that offense, how good can you be? But I don't know, something, you know, Jimmy Graham actually was more productive in the Bears offense, I think, than he was in the Packers. So, I mean, it's, it's not always that way. So I think uh, I think the tight end and, and one receiver, it could end up being Pringle because we just haven't seen him. But based on what we've seen so far, I think it's St. Brown as a guy who will be a target. And again, that's assuming that that Mooney is gets all the attention from defenses. And I'm not sure if he'll have quite the year that people are expecting, but I'm not ruling out the fact that he becomes, you know, takes it to another level. I just I'm just not betting on that. So when, when you talk about targets, I'm t- I'd say the running game. And then guys you really may maybe uh, who haven't been in that position before commit who obviously has potential and, and St. Brown right now. But again, that it could be anybody it could be Nikhil Harry when he comes back, who knows, you know, is Mooney a number one wide receiver. It's been a lot of debate about well, that's, that. Well, that's an interesting question that, yeah, that we're going to find that out because right now, you know, it's interesting. He's a, he's a productive player in a really bad offense. I mean, this was a, <laughs> this was what, no, I hate to, I hate, I wrote about this also that I, you know, I hate to rag on Matt Nagy, but he, this was the most overtly bad offense I've seen or, or the, uh, the most obvious disappointing thing relative to what somebody was charged to do, which is make an offense and develop a quarterback. I've never seen, I, we, with no offense to Matt Nagy, I've never seen somebody fail at that so clearly. So, so when you have Mooney, you say, well, Mooney was productive in a bad offense. How good would he be like on the Chiefs or something? You, you know, he'd be that guy wide open in the end zone while Pat, Patrick Mahomes is running around, right? I mean, in theory, in this offense, and, and that's kind of another point not to get off track is, will Justin Fields be able to find the the open man late? I think that's a huge key in the NFL these, these days with these quarterbacks running around. And you have to have an offense that's kind of designed to do that. So, so anyway, so, I, you know, it's so... Mooney, I mean, yeah, everyone's expecting him to take that next level and be a 100-yard-a-game receiver, and he could do that. I just think the way the Bears' offense is comprised right now, it's going to be really tough for him to do that unless they develop very quickly and teams have to cover Equinemius St. Brown and David Montgomery coming out of the backfield and Cole Komet, and then maybe, so then, then he will. But right now, I'd say certainly he has the potential – but uh, I, I'm not. It's not to me. It's not an automatic. But I like Mooney. I, I love. I love Mooney. I love the fact that he just has an aptitude for the game. He understands the nuances of his position and the offense. Um, I think he's a real. I think he's the real deal. I don't think he's just a fifth round pick who's over 
I think he's fifth, fourth. I can't remember. But anyway, I think he's a mid-round pick who's overachieving. No, I think he's the real deal because he has all the, you know, he's good. He's good catching a short pass and taking it long. He's good going deep. He's very versatile. He understands the position, like I said. And I, I think he's got potential to be great. But in the state of the, the current state of the Bears offense, I can't guarantee that he will be the guy who, who makes the big step. It could be, it'll have to be somebody else, I think, before him. Because defenses are just, they know him. I mean, that you know, he's going to get a lot of attention. Mark Potash here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, what have you made of the new regime overall? Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus coming in. Well, that's interesting, too, because um, I like them, but I like the new regime at this point in 2015 when you had the you had the pace, <laughs> uh, you had the pace Fox, you know, May, December romance that looked like a, you know, just we all wanted it. It looked like just what, exactly what a young GM needed was a veteran coach. And and uh, and I was enamored with him at the same time. I will say I do see things um, in, in, in polls that I like, that I, I think he's a forward-thinking guy. Um, I think he's a 21st century guy. Um, um, I just like little things, little little things he does, like hiring a, an assistant GM. I think that's a, that's a really good move that shows that he, has, uh, that he's, that he knows he can't do it all. And, and even little things like, you know, there was this thing I thought was interesting. It kind of got overlooked. Like when they were evaluating players in the draft, he had all his – he, he pulled all his scouts individually to avoid groupthink. I just like that thinking that he was, he, he seems like a smart, he seems like he learned well in Kansas City and learned some lessons there. I, I like the way he handled the, the Roquan Smith uh, situation. I think, you know, it was a difficult situation. It was acrimonious. And, and yet, especially with a player not having an agent, and I think he's done, I think he did very well. He, he had a strong hand and he played it well. He didn't, you know, he didn't fold when he, when he didn't have to. And so little things like that. But again, I always say this. I, I see that those are indicators to me that he is will be better than Pace. And those are indicators to me that if he does have success, he will be able to sustain it where Pace could not. But he's got to get the quarterback. If he doesn't get the quarterback right, he will fail. I mean, and, you know, that's, you know, so what I'm saying is he's got all the, he's got a lot of little things I see when you ask me, do how do I like him? I do like him. I do like what he does. But if you don't get the quarterback right, you're you're probably not going to succeed. So it all comes down it all comes down to that. What do you see in Justin Fields? I mean, do you think at this point he will get the quarterback right? Is Justin Fields going to be that guy for the Bears? Well, I, you know, uh, we don't know. We know he has the talent to do it, and 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 I think in a good offense, I think he will do it. But you know, the thing we talked about Mitch Trubisky was, does he have the instinct for the position? And he didn't. He didn't appear to. And now they're saying, well, that might have been just Matt Nagy taking it all out of him. Even even, even Trubisky in interviews has kind of hinted at that, that he was kind of, you know, uh, held back or whatever from really being the quarterback he could be. So that's the key. Is, is Does he have an instinct for the position? Uh, at, at Ohio State, he certainly showed that potential, much more than Trubisky did at North Carolina. So he's got so he's got that potential. Um but you know, in Chicago, we've been we've been, we've seen so many bad offenses and so many underachieving quarterbacks <laughs> that it's just. I'll be honest, I, I I'm a victim of that, and and I, it's too hard for me to say predict. Oh yeah, he's going to be it. I got to see it to believe it. So, but I'm saying the potential is definitely there. And again, it comes down to I hate to just harp on one little thing, but you know, will he find in this offense? Will he find the the open man late? I think that's a like I said, I think that's a huge thing. And when you see that happen. Then you know because there are times you saw and there are you, you've seen it where Trubisky runs around, gets out of the pocket, and then throws into coverage as if it was the first read. I mean, that's that's exactly what I'm what what I'm talking about as far as quarterback intuition and just 
just being able to play the position is can he run around and all and, and keep and keep his head and keep his head in the game and keep his wits about him and find that open guy and even anticipate where he's going to be. I think that's that's to me that's a big key. That's a big key as far as your question about will you know what will you know what do I think about Justin Fields? Will he be successful? I'll say yes. He shows in he shows the instinct for the position, but can he actually execute it in in a, in a good offense? And and that's what we're going to see. So yeah, I I think he's I think he's got a real good chance. Let's put it that way. But they've got to have right now they've got to support him to give him a chance to to be the quarterback who puts a team on his shoulders like you see all these great ones and do it so he can get to that level but i don't think he's at that level yet but i think he can get there do you think next year with the big cap space that could also play a role in helping him develop more oh absolutely that's what this season is all about i've always said the clock for me the clock doesn't start on on ryan on ryan poles until 2023 and he earned that by clearing house where pace did not you know Pace at this point had uh, Antrell Roll and Eddie Royal and players like that to kind of, you know, fortify their offense and defense. I think, and he had Cutler. I mean, um, so so yeah, it's all about 2023, and I think that's what this is set up to be: is can you get an offense on the ground? And then with all this cap space now, if if you get breakout players, you know, the cap space isn't just for free agents or other teams for you. The cap space was for your own. Theoretically, if Darnell Mooney has a great year, or David Montgomery, whoever they want to keep, they'll have the money to keep them too. So you're not going to lose people. You're not going to lose people you don't want to lose, and you'll be able to gain. So, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. That's what this whole thing is designed is for, um, you know, is for the possibility that that uh, fields will not be great, will be good, but good enough where you get them some weapons like other teams have done, and then then you can really take off. So this is, re- this is really a setup year. Uh, uh, a rebuild, whatever foundation year, whatever. This is, I always say, this is the cleanest rebuild the Bears have had since the Ditka era, since, since since the Jim Finks era. And I think that's their best chance to do it because you don't have Cutler in the way. When you have Cutler, you always think in the back of your head, at least, you should be a playoff team. They don't have that expectation this year. They might be in this division. I always say never underestimate the mediocrity of the NFL. Nine and eight could get you in. The Bears could be a playoff team, but there's no expectation. And I think that's the big key. They're able to, they don't have anybody holding them back. The only surprise is, is Robert Quinn. He's the only guy on their team right now that likely will not be a part of their next, uh, uh, their next playoff team. And I'm, I'm surprised that he's still here, but he's the only one. There were like five or six in previous, you know, with Emery, with, with Pace and, and you don't have that. So anyway, the clean rebuild, I think is, 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 is probably the biggest factor for the bears as it relates to 2023 and saying, Oh, and, and, and asking for patience. Let's put it that way. So then how do you plan on evaluating this season? I mean, could even three and 14 mean, you know what, let's wait till next year. I mean, is there a certain standard that you're looking at still for this season, despite uh, not many expectations? Yeah. My standards, I mean, probably not the same as probably on the, I'm probably out of step Charlie, but, uh, but my expectations are very, uh, minimal, uh, uh, I want I want to see Justin Fields standing at the end of the year. I want to see him better in the second half than he was in the first half. And frankly, I want the Bears to have their best chance to get him in their his Jamar Chase, which is like a fifth round, a fifth pick overall. So if they go, uh, you know, five and twelve or whatever, the best scenario, you know, it's like teams in '98. I always go back to '98 when the Bears started zero or '97 when the Bears started zero and seven and were in line to have the first pick of the draft to shot at Peyton Manning and won enough games to not to get Curtis Enos, you know. And what what would have been better for the Bears that year? The best thing for the Bears that year would have been to go two and twelve, two and fourteen, and get Peyton Manning, right? Well, I would argue the best thing for the Bears this year might be to go, you know, not be horrible, but be develop a quarterback and still like the like the Bengals did develop a quarterback and still finish 
you know, uh, in the top five in the draft and get and get that help. That that's not the worst scenario. That you could argue that's the best scenario. If you're not going to be, if you're going, if you're going to go eight and eight and and not make the playoffs or eight and nine, whatever. That, that's not that might not be better. So my expectations are very minimal. I just I think it's all about the quarterback and uh, because his defense will be you know middle of the pack, maybe maybe better than that with Roquan back. So. They'll, they'll be fine there. They're, I don't think that that's a problem. So I, my, I guess my, my long-winded answer is I, I very, very simple expectations. It all revolves around Fields being better at the end than he was at the beginning and still standing. And whatever the record is, the record is, because it can be better to be worse, right, if that makes sense. More to come with Mark Potash in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Mark Bonas still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, why did Mark Burley have the perfect baseball career? Well, I love I love Mark Burley, and you know that was uh, <laughs> born that was uh, that was born out of the Hall of Fame discussion a few years ago. And like, the guy doesn't need the Hall of Fame because, like I said, he had the perfect career. Well, I listed I listed I think you're referring to the my list of the 20 reasons why he did, and and I think one of the key ones is like. You know, he was never like a top pick who had he never had any pressure on him. He you know, he he was uh, whatever round he was, you know, he he was surprised that he made it. He had a great career. Um, I mean, I can't I could I could read off the list or whatever. But, yeah, I just think he did. I just think he had he had the career that when, you know, you always want to be a baseball, major league baseball player when you're growing up. That's everybody's dream. And and I don't want to be maybe it's my own personality. I don't want to be that guy who's always has that high expectations, always being great. I want to be the guy who uh, who has, you know, humble uh, expectations and overachieves. I, I'd rather set the bar low. I, that probably says more about me than, than, you, than anybody <laughs> needs to know. But anyway, I just admire Burley because of the way uh, he was out of the limelight. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he was efficient. He was fan friendly in a lot of ways. He was good. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and also he did it his way, you know, like, like, uh, in the off seasons, you know, he was, he was hunting and fishing. He didn't, you know, he, he did, he lived his life and even in retirement, you know, he's a beloved White Sox pitcher. He, when he goes to Comiskey park or when he goes to guaranteed rate field, I guess, <laughs> whatever it is now, sorry. Uh, showing my age here, but uh, you know, he is revered, but yet he lives a simple life down. He lives the life he wants to live in Missouri. I don't, you know, he's not on Fox 30 Fox news or whatever the, you know, the NBC sports. He's not, he's not doing the post game show. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. So it's really, he had the great career and I just really respect that. I really admire the, uh, the way I didn't articulate that very well. Just read the 20 reasons. They give you a much better um a, a much better uh sample of it like for instance well here's one thing like you know he wasn't a blazer he didn't throw 95 but yet he still had great moments he had a perfect game he had a no hitter he won a world series he you know he he did all the things that the the, the great pitchers do uh without without that kind of stuff I, you know that's another thing he, he's, he's just very relatable i guess is, is that's probably the answer he to me mark burley is the most relatable athlete one of the most relatable athletes we've had in chicago because any of us could kind of be him but he, there's only one Mark Burley, and that's that's what makes it. That's that's my answer. Sorry, it took five minutes to get to the answer, but I got there. Were you there for the perfect game or the no hitter? Like, what's the best start that you covered from him? I don't think I covered a Mark Burley start because I wasn't covering the Sox until well, maybe I, I can't remember, but I wasn't really covering the Sox like a backup guy until after he was gone. 
Okay. So, um, so I, I can't really, so I really didn't do that. And I don't know him personally. I just know he was very good. Like, and I'm talking to Joe Colley who covered him, like he mentioned, like one, another thing, one of the 20 reasons was you, Mark Burley would talk pregame on the day he pitched, you know, which most pitchers don't do. Yeah. He was such a cool guy. I mean, he just, you know, he wasn't, nothing bothered him. He wasn't, you know, he's, he was very, uh, 20th century, almost probably 19th century, uh, as far as an athlete. So, so no, I, I really don't have any personal it's, and that's it it's not personal it's not like he was my buddy this is, a, this is a very objective view my my 20 reasons why he had the perfect baseball career is a very objective view mostly as a fan uh more than anything else and why he did so i so i yeah i just always feel i always admire him and Canerco's kind of the same way Canerco is very close to him and i could do one for him as well you know Canerco, who's very respected not a hall of famer hall of very good first ballot hall of very good they both are and um and to be honest like Burley wouldn't be in my Hall of Fame. My my Hall of Fame would be much more exclusive than than most people. So he wouldn't be it, you know. And 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 neither would Canerco. But they are both very admirable athletes. It's just a shame they didn't win more than they did uh, in Chicago. But that's another tale. Well, I appreciate the uh, Hall of Fame comment at least. I feel like the Hall of Fame today is too ec- or inclusive, rather. Too many people are getting in that shouldn't be oh, there. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know how it is. You know. I always say Rabbit Moranville was the guy who started it all. He was the first. <laughs> if you look back yep. at the at the history, as soon as you, you know, here's what happens. And it's natural. You, you put Ron Sano in, then what about Ken Boyer? Ken Boyer was an MVP. He's got a, you know, very, yeah. uh, then you put Ken Boyer in, who was just almost as good. It just widens. I'm not sure what the uh, uh, statistical term is, but it just widens uh, 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 the, uh, you know, how, how many people, you know, can get the candidates, the pool. It widens the pool. Every time, in natural, that's going to happen. And, we could talk. Uh, I, this is a passion of mine, the Hall of Fame, because I would, too. Love to re- I would love to recast the Hall of Fame and do it from all over. But but but, you know, knowing, you know, knowing what we know and this may get much more exclusive for guys who a to me, you have to, to be a Hall of Famer. You have to have had Hall of Fame seasons, the, the, you know, accumulating, you know, 17 win seasons in the old days, like Don Sutton or whatever. That doesn't do it for me. You have to have Sandy Colfax. It's fame. Fame is the key. You have to have seasons like Sandy Kovac or, or, or careers like Walter Johnson. And, 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 and to me, that's what it's all about. And to me, what happened is they started picking the hall of fame every season. The very first hall of fame was for actually literally for 40 seasons or 35 seasons. So that was the best class of all time, right? You had Walter Johnson and Babe Ruth and uh, Christy Matthewson or whatever, you know, yeah, Honus Wagner, you had, yeah, it was the best. And then, and then when you start, if you'd only do it, if you only pick the Hall of Fame every four years, it would be a much different Hall of Fame because then you wouldn't have, like I said, Robert Moranville was the guy who all of a sudden, once he gets in, well, that lead, you know, all, Bill Mazeroski's a Hall of Famer then. If he is, Robert Moranville, that just opened the, that just widened the pool. So, um, wasn't ready for that discussion. We can talk. We should talk about that. If, if you're passionate, we could. We should do a whole podcast on that, John, because that's a passion of mine. And not that I, uh, uh, I don't have a problem with the hall with people liking the Hall of Fame as it is. That's fine. Mine would just be different. Mine would be for players who, like I said, were Hall of Famers when you were when you, you know when you watch Willie Mays, you knew he was a Hall of Famer. When you watch Ron Sano, did you know he was a Hall of Famer? And I love Ron Sano. I would never disparage right. him, but you know, frankly, he wouldn't be in my Hall of Fame. But but anyway, yeah, that's uh, that that uh, that is uh, I, I don't know about a passion of mine, but I'm certainly you know, have a lot of opinions. And that's one that that uh, always comes up uh, beca- only because every year somebody else gets in that leads to 10 more people being 
uh, being uh, <laughs> eligible. And then, or, you know, and, and then you've got, you know, you've got a, basically you, I, I say my point, there should actually be a hall of very good. I would love, if I was retired, I would actually build an, an edifice, a building that would be the hall of very good. And you'd have some great players in it. You should try doing that. If you're into the hall of fame debate, try doing that guys who not, not borderline guys who are definitely not hall of famers, but, are all of very good gooders, I guess you, you would say that's bad English, but, but anyway, um, but anyway, so yeah, so that's how you try, try and do that. Make an actual, uh, there would be some guys who would probably be in between. They wouldn't, they'd be too good for the hall of very good, but not good enough for the hall of fame. It'd be weird. You have to hold another hall. It's, it's a crazy <laughs> debate, but it's, it's a lot of fun. If you're baseball, if you're a baseball fan um, to, to do that. But anyway, the point being, I guess I agree with you is that I think the hall of fame should be much more exclusive than it is. And naturally by picking Having uh, by voting every year, I think that's what that's what's watered it down. If you did it, my 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 serious, I, I joke about a lot of it, but my serious change would have been, and at one point they were doing it every other year, and then they went to every year. It would be to pick it every four or five years, and then the pool, then it'd be much. It, to me, it would be a lot more exclusive than it is. Well, I suggest when the Hall of Fame voting comes up, we do another podcast just about the Hall of Fame because it seems yeah, like we're yeah, both, we're both very passionate. My thoughts better, John. You caught me by <laughs> surprise. But as you can tell, uh, I, I have a big interest in that. So, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, I'll be more prepared the next time. I, ho- I hope it made some sense. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me, though. Great insights on the Bears and the Hall of Fame and looking forward to reading your coverage in the Sun-Times this season for sure. Thanks, John. I uh, love doing your show, and uh, and thanks for having me. Great talk there with Mark Potash. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Mark Potash himself, Matt Dubio, WCKG, Jim DeTalbot, to Marlboro Entertainment. Making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John's Gluel. You can watch more of this show. Head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe and so long, everyone. No! No! We're the turtle!